Well, good morning. How are you today? You're awake. Some of you are happy to be here. Some of you are not happy to be here. But you're here anyway. So, it's, uh, it's nice to see you. I had a nice drive over this morning. I personally really detest winters that are just cold, ugly dirt like this one. I like snow. Isn't that terrible? How many of you like snow? Raise your hand. Yes. Oh, yeah. Bring it on. If, uh, if I got word that we were going to get 24 inches tomorrow, it would just make me smile. Now, some of you would really suffer, and I feel badly for you, but not real badly. It's, uh, I know I feel a little bit more at home this morning because I didn't have to use my GPS to figure out the fastest route to get here. And uh, could come over every day, as I often say in, in the life with uh, my daughter Sophie, every day is an adventure. It's not a bad thing, it's, uh, it's an adventure. So this morning I plan to get up, um, well, I don't know, early for some of you at 5.30 and uh, have my cup of coffee and go over carefully the message and make sure I had it all in my mind. And so I could focus, it's quiet then, but not this morning, because Sophie was up at 10 minutes to 5, and bouncing and happy and ready to go. So when I sat down to go over things, not only was I trying to focus on what I was doing, I was listening to, at the same time, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse on the television and on her iPad and you might say, why would you let her do that? Well, you just meet Sophie and you'll answer your question. And on her iPad, she was listening to Brown Bear, Brown Bear, what do I see? I see a green frog looking at me. So therefore, I would prepare yourself for this message, because I don't know. <laughs> and my wife came out and was trying to control her and get her, and, and, and I just smiled and I said, it's okay. It, it's okay. So... Let's have a word of prayer for me. Lord God, thank you uh, for the opportunity to come prepare, present your word. Lord, help me to present this in a way that is understandable, that helps us to smile, but it also helps to look deep in our hearts, first and foremost in my own. Lord, the glory and the honor be yours. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start this morning by reading this little story. One day, little cow said to her mother, I'm going over to the other mountain. The grass is munchier over there. Very well, said mother cow. So away went little cow, and soon she met a little frog. Come along, little frog. She said, I'm going over to the other mountain. The bugs are much crunchier there. So little frog jumped on cow's back, and they walked along together, and soon they met a little white duck. Come with us, said cow to little white duck. We're going to the other mountain. The water is much sploshier there. So duck went too. Down the road they walked till they met a pig. Come along with us, little pig, said cow. We're going over to the other mountain. The mud is much sloshier there. So pig went too, and they walked along together and sang a silly song. The grass is munchier, the bugs are crunchier, the water is sploshier, the mud is sloshier. And then they saw a bear, so they sang, and the honey is gooier. And the bear said, I'll come too. And they walked and walked and walked. 
When they got to the other mountain, they all sat down to rest. And they were so tired that they soon fell asleep. In the morning, they woke with the sun, very hungry and all ready to eat, but the grass was not munchier. The bugs were not crunchier, the water was not sploshier, the mud was not sloshier, and the honey was not gooier. It just was not true, and all the little cow had said. Everyone felt sad and blue, till all at once, cow jumped up. Look, she said, away over there, we're on the wrong mountain. And as they pointed, they all agreed that the other mountain was really greener. So they started out and walked and walked and walked, and down, down they went till they came to the bottom of the mountain. Then, up, up, up they climbed. Then they stopped, and what do you think they found? They were back home on their own green mountain. So they all looked at the cow and sang, the grass is munchier, the bugs are crunchier, the water is sploshier, the mud is sloshier, the honey is gooier, right here at home. And they laughed and laughed and laughed, and that's a 29-cent book that belonged to a little boy named Danny many years ago. Isn't it interesting? How many of you were, were tempted this morning? You see, I, I didn't say, have you been tempted? I said, how many of you were tempted this morning? Because it happened to look over that other mountain and say, I don't know, but it looks greener over there. We know the statement. The grass is greener on the other side. That job looks better. That other guy's wife looks better. Uh, they don't have to put up with, you know, the guy says, well, I'll bet his wife is in crabby all the time. And I actually, I have probably what is most, the happiest wife uh, in the world. And so, so you'll meet her sometime, she'll come along, and she's got this great, and she just is normally happy. I, however, have the ability to occasionally change that. And people will say, how did you find her? And I said, well, I went to the other side of the planet, but there we are. Temptation is a part of life, isn't it? Temptation to do the wrong thing, to go the wrong way. And in, in the book of James, we read in James chapter 1. I'm just going to read two verses out of here, and then we're going back to Genesis. But if you want to follow in James chapter 1, verses 13 to 15, it says this. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he, does not, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is carried away when he is carried away, each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. That's where it comes from. It starts with us. God does not tempt us. It starts this way. Step one, the thought flickers through our mind, and if we're not careful, then we begin to to dwell on that a little bit. Step two, the thought becomes a desire. You're lured away by that. And then step three, the desire it got, turns into action and, and, and intentional thought. And so then it is sin. And step four, sin ultimately kills you. That's the devil's end game in this whole thing when, you're, when he's trying to draw you away. Because once you're dead... There is no possibility for you of ever doing anything good on this earth again. I don't care how good of a tombstone you buy. You really, you cannot hug your wife. You can't hug your children. You can't, 
be kind to your co-worker. You can't do it when you're gone. And so the devil gets you started drinking salt water. And as you know, if you drink salt water, you'll drink it till you're dead. Well, what happened then? Or actually, are, are, are you afraid of anyone? Anybody here afraid of anybody? Can you think of someone you're afraid of? Yeah, here's somebody who's afraid of someone. Yeah. You should be afraid of somebody. Are you afraid of the policeman? Are you afraid of the policeman when he's behind you and he has his lights turned on? Yes. You should be afraid of something. You should be afraid of people. You should be afraid of something. You should be afraid of sin and temptation. And you and I, we should be because this is a war. We are in a war. Every day is a war when you get out of bed. It is a spiritual war. You're either going to serve God or you're going to serve the devil. It's not multiple choice. It is a, is a war. There was a preacher who, before Billy Graham, was named Billy Sunday, and he was quite a wild man when he preached. And I recently heard him that he said this. He said, I am at war with the devil. And so I am going to punch him in the face until my fists wear out. And then I'm going to kick him until my feet wear out. And when my feet wear out, I'm going to bite him. And when my teeth fall out, I'm going to gum him till I die. Well, that's the attitude. But don't you ever think for a minute that you just live here in a static world where there is no spiritual warfare going on. Because if you think that, you're a fool. It's real, and we can see it today in this story of Abraham, who was the father of three-face, a giant of a man spiritually, and his first test comes, and he fails. Now, you remember Abraham? He lived in Ur of the Chaldees, really nice place, nice house there. He was comfortable. God called him. He said, come ahead. They went 600 miles north to Haran. He lived there until his father died. His father died 400 miles down into the promised land. And we said, man, what a guy. All that way, and he got there, and he built an altar to God, and everything was fine. But as you'll see, there's a little verse that he didn't stop there. So God calls Abraham right into the promised land, and then he tests him. And he does that with us, too. He'll test you where he promises you. So if he calls you. He calls you to the ministry. Then you'll be tested in the ministry. Thor, you probably don't know this, but not everybody in this church is nice. <laughs> you don't want to admit it either, do you? Oh, yes. But not always, and not all, you know, it was very interesting. I was a missionary for many years, and that's a whole other story. But before I went, I thought, how could I ever be a missionary? Because I'm just not holy like missionaries are. And then I became one, and I realized they weren't either. And an old missionary right away said, ah, you're new, you need to know something. Her name was Marie Drown. And if any of you have ever read Frank Drown's wife, and Marie's still alive, and she said, Daniel, a long time ago I learned whatever people are saying about me, or I think they're saying about me, I'm a lot worse than that. And so are you. So get used to it. And there's a lot of truth in that. We... Like Abraham, walk by faith, but when the test comes, how are we going to react? The 
question for Abraham, is he going to trust God? Is he going to ask God? Is he, is he going to trust himself or trust someone else? Out of those, there's one good answer. But let's see what happens. So we're going to read from in chapter 12, and I'm going to start in verse 9. And rather reading the whole section, I'm going to read it as I talk through it. So 12 verses 9 and 10 read this way. Now, Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. Did God ever tell Abraham to go to the Negev? No. No. Error number one. Now, there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Interesting. God chooses a test for Abraham. The test was famine. There's no food. Now, Abraham, what are you going to do? Did God promise Abraham that he should go live in the land? Would he, yes, he did. Did he say, you'll be fine, Abraham, if you live there in the land and I'll take care of you? Yes, he did. Has God made you any promises? Yes, he has. Do you believe them? I hope you do. How many of you own a car, an automobile? Would you raise your hand? All right. Those automobiles, uh, most of them still have keys. And all of them have instruction manuals. Now, how many do you believe here that you should change the oil in that car? Raise your hand. Well, why do you believe that? I had a friend in Ecuador, and he bought a brand new car. And he didn't change the oil for two years. No, you don't need to change the oil. They just run forever. Until one day, it made a very loud noise. And it didn't run ever again. Well, here's the thing. You take by faith that the people writing that uh, owner's manual are not lying to you. Well, God doesn't lie to you either. And he told Abraham, look, I want you to go to the promised land. And I want you to live there. Now he's there. And he sends a test. Famine. Now is Abraham going to test, is he going to believe God? Now he's going to exercise his faith, and he doesn't. He heads down into Egypt. That's his plan. So in, in verse 9, we see that Abraham, Abe goes, in, and here he's called Abram. Later on, his name's changed to Abraham. I call him Abe. I call him Abraham. And uh, so just hang with me there. So Abraham goes down into Egypt. That's what the text says. Well, it's down geographically and it's down spiritually. I'm sure you've gone those trips too. God sends a test where you stay in the land. He tests Abraham. I promise he will test you. He may be testing you now. And, uh, and are we going to follow God's instruction? It was simple for Abraham. Abraham, go live in the land. I'll bless you. Yes, sir, Lord. I go, here I am. Hope. Oh, I'm hungry. Now what do I do? But did he ask God what to do? No. He just put God on it. He said, oh, let's all go down into Egypt. I guess we could better go down there. God forgot about us. So he gets down there, and uh, he forgets to follow instructions. And then in verses 11 through 16, we learn what happens. It came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarah, his wife, See, now I know that you are a beautiful woman, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me. But they will, not, they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, so that it may go well with me because of you, that I may live on account of you. It came about when Abram went came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful, 
Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Therefore he treated Abram well for her sake and gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. What do you think? Sound like a good plan? I don't think so. Any of you ladies here up for that? No, I don't think so. One bad decision always leads to another. One lie leads to another, doesn't it? You know that. Because you've got to cover up the first lie with the second lie, and then you can never remember what, which lie you told. But Abraham was in a tight spot. He probably had 300 people, more or less, that were depending on him. They didn't have food. They were probably moaning and groaning. Sarah was probably a nag. Ladies, how many nags here? Would you raise your hand? Okay, I want you to close your hands for a, close your eyes, lady, for a minute. Guys, how many of you, your wives, n- nag occasionally? Occasionally. Don't Be a man. Don't ra- do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Trying to speak the truth. Now, my wife and I have a, a really, an unbelievable relationship. And so... Um, if she were here, she would raise her hand. She'd say, I, I, am, I, I am okay. So I'm a nag. I know I'm a nag. And I'd say, you know, you are. You, you are. But I love you. I, I, that's okay. I probably need, I need it. Guys need it. Come on, ladies. Do your husbands need to be nagged? Okay? Does, he, does Thor always take the trash out when he says he will? Always? My goodness. I'm going to give you my address. You can take... But Abe's in a tough spot. He's got all these people. And Sarah probably, well, we know she was a nag because he just read on and studied a little bit more. And uh, he does, does he ask God what to do? No, he just heads down there into Egypt. And then he tells, he says to Sarah, let's tell a lie. Second bad decision. And you see what he says in there? He says, for your sake. It was not for her sake. He was trying to save his neck. For your sake. And sometimes guys were like that. We're cowards. You got to stand up. You got to be a man. And it's not for your sake. Like, no. No, it's because we're twisted. And Sarah says, okay, we'll do it. Uh, a little historical context. Yes, at that time, if they saw you had a beautiful wife, they, they were very respectful as far as adultery. They didn't just try to sneak around with your wife. They were up front, they'd just chop your head off, and then they'd take your wife. And so then she was, that was fine. That was acceptable behavior, but just sneaking around was not. So they come, Sarah goes down into their house, working so far, Abraham's alive, he gets all kinds of riches. But in, 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 uh, chap- in verses 17 to 20 in chapter 12, then God ends the test. Now, as you can see, Abraham absolutely, totally failed the test. And so, it reads like this, But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. Then Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. 
I think probably the way we said it, Pharaoh said something like, here's your wife, you make me sick, get out of here. And so, what happens? Well, God afflicts uh, Pharaoh with an illness. Does that strike you as odd? Why not Abraham? Who's the liar here? But it was Pharaoh. He struck with an illness. And Pharaoh kicks him out. You know, pagans act like pagans. Does it bother you when, when, uh, when people who are not followers of Christ act like they're not followers of Christ? Or does it bother you more when a so-called follower of Christ acts like he doesn't know Christ? Yeah. You see, Pharaoh was acting like Pharaoh. He was just doing what his culture said. He was just doing what his religion said. Abraham, on the other hand, was supposed to be representing the Most High God. That's what he was there for. And now, he's a stench. You know, backsliding is an old term. How many of you are familiar with the term backsliding? They don't use that much anymore, but, you know, sliding back into a life of sin, going backwards, getting lazy, and uh, backsliding always has more burdens than blessings. And we're going to look at some of those out of this text now. So out of this, four lessons for life. And the first one is this, the sin of unbelief. At its root... All sin has unbelief at its nucleus. At its root, all sin has unbelief at its nucleus. Martin Luther said, It is not possible to willingly sin unless we begin to think wrongly about God. Abraham wasn't thinking about God when he said, Sarah, let's tell a lie. He wasn't thinking about God when he said, For your sake. He was thinking about himself. As you look throughout Scripture, you'll find some examples of that. Adam and Eve in the garden, they said this, God lied. Let's eat that fruit. Samson said, God lied. I have the power. David said, well, God lied. All women are mine. I'm the king after all. What are you saying to God? What are you saying about God lied? Do you believe him? You know, I, I said last week, and it was somewhat, I wanted you to smile, but I said, this is a Bible. You have to actually read it to know what it says. And, uh, of course, this is football season. I like football very much. And Vince Lombardi is very famous. One of his football speeches to his team at halftime, they played really lousy the first half, and they got in, and he held up a football, and they all looked, and he said, gentlemen, this is a football. And I would say to you, folks, this is a Bible. You have to read it so you can follow the instructions. You follow the instructions, and you will be blessed all the days of your life. And Abraham did not do that, but at the base of when we stop following God's word is unbelief. We're saying, God, you're lying. You're not telling the truth. I can't trust you. Now, God doesn't lie. But we start 
And when we begin to doubt that, and we begin to doubt, or our belief starts to waver, then, then we get way off track very quickly. Uh, number two, you never sin alone. You notice that in Abraham's life? You don't sin alone. We always take others with us, don't we? The sins of the father affect the wife, affect the children. The sins of the wife affect the father, affect the children. The sins of children affect their parents. The sins of parents affect their children. I don't know how much you have examined your own heart and life or how well you know your father and grandfather. I know I've spent a lot of time, and someday I may tell you why, and then again I may not, but examining my own life, my own weaknesses, and what are the recurring sins that are always waiting to trip me up, and looking back and realizing they're the same ones that tripped up my father. We truly are flesh and blood. I took my son Juan back to Iowa State on Friday, and as we were traveling down, we had a, actually a great conversation, and I said, well, it'll be a shocking day for you someday when you realize that your parents are just like you. Same fears, same worries. Same temptations. We are not some other class of people. And uh, Abraham comes, he says to Sarah, hey, let's tell a lie. And they head down into Egypt, and then they leave. They're richer. They might look pretty good. But, yeah, and Abraham seemed to come out of that fine, but they, he had a, had a nephew named Lot, and Lot got some Egypt in his blood. And as we'll hear about Lot next, next time we're together, Lot later chooses everything wrong, and it all started back in Egypt. They pick up a lady named Hagar there, and if you know anything about Hagar, she ruins, uh, or Abraham ruins, but causes ruination in their home, and we're still facing the consequences of that on this very day, at this very time, in Israel on the other side of the planet. Small cho choices may have big, big consequences. I call it one of them is called the Law of Unintended Consequences. We make decision A. Oh, I grew up on a farm. I was out cultivating. We actually used to, used to do that. It started to rain. It started to lightning. I got a little bit spooked, so I drove to drive into the machine shed. It was a rear mount cultivator, and it was 15 feet wide. The door was 14 feet wide. I went in anyway. Unintended consequence. The rest of my life while we had that farm, that door that was mangled hung right there. And I asked my dad several times, aren't we going to fix that? He said, well, two reasons, no. One, it still works, and two, I think it still reminds you. Life is the same way. And I say that, I don't care how old you are, I don't care if you're single, I don't care if you're married. It, life is the same way. Unintended consequences come. We look at, Sarah, at Abraham's family. As I said, Lot got some Egypt in his blood. They pick up Hagar there. Isaac, his son, later does the same thing, tells the same lie about his wife later on. Jacob, his grandson, is a great deceiver. 
it goes on and on, and it's like a three-legged race. You never go down alone when you choose to say that God is lying and sin. Take it to the bank. Number three, when you walk in sin, you tend to avoid the altars in your life. Remember the altars we talked about last week? Abram came into the land, he built an altar, looked at it, remembered God. Then he got to where he was going to live forever, and he built an altar. We talked about altars on our fingers. We talked about altars as Bibles. We talked about altars of crosses hanging on our walls, maybe even bumper stickers. But if you put them on your car, drive like it. And we talked about those altars. Well, you know, there are no altars in Egypt. You read this text. No altars in Egypt. No witness to Pharaoh. How was he going to witness to Pharaoh as he was leaving after that? Would he have said, oh, Pharaoh, by the way, you sh- I follow the most high God. You should too. He'll transform your life. And that's what's happened in America as people have watched on television, as television preachers have lied and cheated and there have been scandals and things. Not every single one of them, of course. But when that happens, my goodness. My mom had a little magnet on the fridge, and it said, your actions speak so loud I can't hear you. Oh, you know, you can't tell your wife you love her if you're a jerk. Ladies, you can't tell your husband that you love him if you're a nag. You can actually say that word in church. Try it sometime. You'll like it. Uh, it's true. Fathers, if you're not, you know, if you're, if you're being a pest to your children, that's not, that's not how you're supposed to raise them. Moms, you know, I mean, yes, make sure your kids do some work, but also, you know, have a little fun in life. You cannot be a witness. Abraham couldn't be a witness to Pharaoh after he had sinned in such a perverted, twisted way. And neither can you and neither can we. But if you're honest, you notice, if you're honest, people will forgive a multitude of sins. One time in my life, at a very, very, very sad point, I, I, didn't know, I, I didn't know what to do. And a friend of mine came to me, and he said, Daniel, I don't know what's going on in your life or what terrible things are going on, but he said, we drunks, and he was a recovering alcoholic, still doing well. And he said, we drunks have a saying, you're only as sick as your secrets. And it just stopped me cold. And he was the first person I told, this is what's going on. And then he said, you know, I think what you should do, he says, I don't know what you should do, but he said, why don't you come with me to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting? And I said, well, well I, don't, I don't drink alcohol. And he said, it doesn't matter. We don't care. They won't even judge you for that. <laughs> but it, 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 it was amazing. If you want to be, have an impact in somebody's life, start with being honest with your children, and with those who are in church with you. Because when we are doing our own thing and walking in sin, we avoid prayer. That's an altar. We avoid church. That's another altar. You're not comfortable there. We avoid fellowship with believers, fellowship with family. We avoid reading our Bible, witnessing to others. What altars are you avoiding? I don't know. Examine, examine your heart. And I'll tell you what, when I preach, I preach to myself first and foremost, so I've got my own things to work on. Now, finally, and that is this, God is with us even when we walk in sin. When Abraham was in Egypt, God was in Egypt too. 
When you make a lousy decision and walk in sin, God is with you too. When you gossip about your fellow believers, God is there listening and he is with you too and he loves you. You cannot escape him and he's calling to you and he's drawing you back. God is with us even when we sin. He was in Egypt. When I was a little boy, my mother taught me God can see you all the time. So I would go under the kitchen table and I would hide under there, and then I would say swear words really quiet because God couldn't see me or hear me there. Except I thought, I quickly learned that my father could, and so <laughs> it didn't work. Um, God is your heavenly father. He, he seeks his children. He's seeking you today, right now, to bring you home. Let's read 13, 1 through 4. Chapter 13, 1 through 4, it says, So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, he and his wife, all that belonged to him and Lot with him. Now, Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and gold. He went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar where he, which he had made there formerly. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. The altar's back. The altar's back. I don't know anybody here. I've met some of you. There is one couple in this church that I know. Anybody know who that is? They're not here. Charlie and Francis Shear. I know them, which means I've heard all of Charlie's jokes. But I know them, but I don't know anybody here. Therefore, I have no idea where any of you or any family has begun to doubt God and in a sense say, God, you're lying. That isn't true. I don't believe you. I can't have faith in you. I'm going to walk my own path. I don't know. But I will tell you this. Whatever it is, you can come back just like Abraham to the altar in your life. You can come back into that special relationship of faith. And you can trust God that he is there and he's waiting for you and he will walk with you forward. Now, I asked you last week, I said, isn't it nice you don't have a, a senior pastor now? It feels pretty good, doesn't it? No one felt that it did. It doesn't feel good now. And it's a, it's a walk of faith. But God knows exactly what's going to happen and he's calling you to walk in faith with him. Out of that desert of Negev, of doubt that you've been living in, and come back to the Christ that you, at one time, walked so closely with and believed so heartily. There is a song that the old-timers will remember, and it's called Prone to, uh, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Anybody remember that song? Yeah, that's a good song. Well, the writer of the song was a guy by the name of Robert Robinson. Robert Robinson uh, walked with the Lord. He wrote that song. Later he left, abandoned his faith, lived a life of sin and debauchery and was living with whatever number woman at the point. And she, uh, she came home one day uh, to their apartment and she said, I have, uh, she said, man, I got to read this poem for you. I, I, someone gave me, she said, it is phenomenal. She said, listen to these words. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. 
Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for thy, thy courts above. And when she looked up, Robert Robinson was crying. She said, why are you weeping? I know it's beautiful. And he said, I wrote the words. I once believed that. And oh, how I wish I could again. And what I'm telling you is you can. Robert Robinson could go home. Abraham could go home. And you, you can come home too. Jesus is right there waiting. And he's always faithful.